Well, today we're going to wrap up and uh, end our sermon series that we've been calling Life After Life. And it's been a sermon series where we've looked at, okay, if, if I choose to follow Jesus, then what? And the reason we ask that question is because oftentimes when we're sharing about our faith or when we're talking to other people about what it means to follow Jesus, we, we talk a lot about eternal life. We talk a lot about the fact that Jesus Christ came and he, he died on the cross, he was buried, he rose again three days later, and in overcoming death, then we also have the hope that we too will overcome death. The promise that comes in following him is that he gives us eternal life. And as wonderful as that is, some people struggle today going, okay, well, that part I don't have an issue with. The part I have an issue with is what do I do today? <laughs> and what do I do tomorrow? And what do I do the next day? How, how does my relationship or my choosing to follow Jesus Christ impact my everyday life? What do I, what do, I do? How do I interact in this world? You know, we all long for the day when we live in perfection with him. You know, I think about that often. What, what would it be like to live and, and be in a place where there absolutely is no sin? I mean, I, I can't even fathom it. I really can't. And, and, and I would gather that neither can you. But that's what it means, too, is that that day is coming. And so for now, though, we live in this world that's been broken by sin. Uh, we ourselves have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and yet we strive to follow a perfect Savior. And in doing so, not only does Jesus offer us eternal life, but he says that if we follow him daily, that he also will give us abundant life, a life that goes beyond what we can dream or imagine on our own. And I would have to think that that life then is very different than what we see offered by the world or what we see offered by culture or what people think are the most important things that, that don't follow Jesus, you would seem to see that, that Jesus is offering a life that's different than that, or we could probably figure that one out on our own, right? And so the bottom line is when you think about it, though, life after life is Jesus. That's what it is. Life after life is Jesus. And it is a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's not a religion, it's not a set of rules to follow, it's not steps, it's not anything else other than what God offers is he offers himself and the way that he does that is he gives us Jesus Christ so that we can have a relationship with Jesus Christ and in turn that relationship with Jesus Christ restores our relationship with God and the more that we follow Jesus, the more that we experience life as he intended for us to live. You see, that's very different than we, we have this idea. It happens to all of us. We, we feel like we figure something out, and we want to package it all up, bottle it, and be able to say, hey, I've figured at least this much of life out, and we'll write a book about it, or we'll go on tour about it, or we'll say things about it, and, and we'll do this. But that's not how it works in a relationship with Jesus Christ. In a relationship with Jesus Christ, it works as a relationship. The closer you get, the stronger that bond grows. The more you understand, the more comfortable things become. That relationship evolves and grows, and it does that on a daily basis. And so life after life is Jesus. It's falling more in love with Jesus. It's learning more about Jesus. It's discovering more about Jesus. It's continuing to choose each and every day to follow Jesus. 
and coming to that place where you trust that no matter where Jesus leads me, I know that that's what's going to be best for me, so I'm going to go there. And as we've been looking at this, one of the things that John has said up to this point, he starts off his whole book by saying, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And so he talks about God as light, and then he transitions to where we are now in, in chapter 3 and then getting into chapter 4 today, where he talks about God as love, and we're going to continue that theme on here in the next coming weeks in a new sermon series. But, but this idea of light and love, and that is where Jesus Christ has us, what we need to understand is what John's saying is the more that we walk in the light and the more that we experience God's love by following him, then you will begin to see that there is a change that happens in your heart and in your life, and you will gain confidence in your faith, and you will gain confidence in the fact that Jesus is who he says he is, that God is who he says he is, because you'll be able to look at your life and the things that you are doing, not just the things that you are thinking or feeling or believing, but you'll be able to look at the things that you are doing, and you will be able to gain confidence that God is at work in my life, and this life is awesome as I follow him. That's why we're doing this. And so today, I will say this. Today's passage may seem a little out of place at first, but let's read it, and then we'll talk about it. It's in John, 1 John chapter 4. We start in verse 1. And this is what he says. John writes these words. Again, he refers to us as dear friends. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see if they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And this is how you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You are from God, little children, and you have conquered them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Now, that's a great promise that oftentimes you'll hear people who are familiar with God's word in church, they'll, they'll, they'll quote that at times. He who is in me is greater than he who is in the world. So it's a great reminder to us at times when we're struggling, when we're facing difficulties in life. And so that comes straight here from the book of 1 John. Chapter 5, he says, they are from the world. Therefore, what they say is from the world, and listen to this, and the world listens to them. That's key. They're from the world. What they say is from the world. And since that is true, the world listens to them. We are from God. Anyone who knows God listens to us. Anyone who is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of deception. Now, the bottom line of what John is saying there is, look, the bottom line is this. Those who are from God, who are following God, that's how you know they're from God. Those who are from the world, who are following the world, that's how you know they're from the world. And it might seem simplistic, but it's also a little bit complicated at times because you're going, hold on a minute here. John's telling me that I'm supposed to test all of these things, and, and how do I know how to test them? What does this even mean? How do I know if it's from God? I mean, he says you just look to see if it's from God, but I, I don't know that I have confidence to be able to discern is this from God. 
or not. So I want to pause for just a minute and acknowledge that what we're looking at today is another reminder of why it is so important to not just look at Scripture in the few verses at a time that I am able to preach in an allotted amount of time on a Sunday morning. Because context is everything. And leading up to this passage, what John has been writing about is test yourself. You want confidence and assurance in your faith? Look at your faith. Look at what you're doing. Test yourself. So leading all the way up to what he's about to say about test others, is he first said, test yourself. So if you missed that, the sermons are online. You're welcome to follow those and do that. But we're not talking about that today because I already talked about that. But contextually, John says there's an order that happens here. First of all, if you want to have assurance of faith and life in Jesus Christ, look at yourself. Look at what you're doing. Is what you say you believe and your actions matching up? If so, you can have confidence in this. And then he says, you want to be careful about who you listen to and who you follow out there. You want to test them. And so if you just hear that, you're going, well, how do I do that? Well, it's hard to do that if you haven't first tested yourself and you have confidence and assurance in your own faith. And so on the heels of John admonishing us to test ourselves by looking at our works, then we first find confidence in Jesus in our own life and assurance of our salvation. Now he admonishes us to test the spirits, meaning this, look at their work. Don't just listen to what they say. And so I'm just gonna go ahead and make this more clear. Don't take me at my word. Did you say that? I, I, I've, I've shared this before. I don't have a better way. God hasn't revealed to me a better way. But one of my, I don't know the right word here because frustration seems a little strong for this. But one of my frustrations with the way that we do church is this model right here. I get 25, 35 minutes a week where this is a one-way conversation. And the things that I've studied and the things that I look at go out to you. And for the most part, I have no idea what you think, feel, hear, see, taste, smell, do with anything that I've done. And you don't get to dialogue with me. You don't get to dig deeper and go, oh, well, hold on, Pastor, I got a question. Because, man, can you imagine how long our sermons would be if we had this many people? And you say, oh, oh I don't like that point. Hold on, can you explain that to me? But what John is saying, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to test these things. We're supposed to look and we're supposed to see, we're supposed to dialogue. Now, one of the ways that we try to do that is why we have small groups. It's why we have Bible study groups. It's so important. You can get in a Bible study group and go, do you hear what that guy said today? I don't know that I agree with that. And you can dialogue these things out. You can learn and you can discuss and you can grow one another. But hear me on this. John is saying, test it. Don't just take what I say. And he, and he says, don't, don't take just because somebody has a stage or somebody has a position or somebody has an opportunity. Don't just go, well, that must be it. You have to learn to discern and test the spirits. You don't take me at my word. You don't take any other leader at your word. You take what is said and you compare it to God's word. And you say, is what this person teaching and saying, does it line up with what God's word is saying? Now, there's an underlying understanding here with this, right? You can't do that if you don't know God's word either. And so the problem, like I say, my frustration is the model that we've built is often this. Well, I like Lendl, 
And so I'm just going to listen to what he says. And if he says it, I'm just going to go ahead and be okay with that. And I don't really need to go read my Bible or test it or think anything else. Because this just makes it convenient because he studied it and I like him. And can I just tell you, I'm wrong about a lot of things. Just ask my wife, okay? If you need confirmation on that. It just, because I see some things sometimes, and I will tell you that in my journey of understanding Scripture, there have been often times that I will teach and, and I will understand and I will see things, and then God will put me in a relationship with somebody else in, in my life, a teacher or a leader, and they'll expand my view or they'll show me something else or time will will show what God's word, it, it begins to have a deeper meaning. Now hear me on this, God's word doesn't change, but my understanding of God's word grows as I mature in my faith. You see that? And so when I have an immature faith, then I can only explain it in immature ways. And so my, my understanding of it is just a little bit. But as God continues to deepen and, and show his truth to be true as I test it and it continues to prove itself true, my confidence in him grows and my ability to relay that truth to other people grows. And this is what John is saying, test the spirits. Now, let me, let me just say something on this. We know this. You're not gonna find a perfect person, right? You, you yourselves know that you struggle, you sin, you fall short, and you sin and you fail. Likewise, you're not going to find a perfect leader. I promise you, you don't have one here. And, and, and all leaders are going to have issues. All people in positions of authority are going to have places where they struggle. We're all going to have bad days. Some of us have bad weeks, bad months, bad years, okay? We all have seasons of difficulty. But what John is saying here is the proof is in the fruit. Not just what they did that day or not what they said at that one point in time. You have to look at the fruit that they're producing, the works that they're doing. What kind of things are they producing over the long haul? Now, there's the hard thing, right? Because snap judgments are a lot easier, aren't they? Can't I just look at them and make my decision that fast? Because that's what we get to do with everything else, right? Pull up to the menu, go, I want that one. Pull forward and go, I like that. Got it in the car and just roll off, you know? That's how we do that. But what John is saying is when it comes to matters of the faith, you, you've got to look at the fruit. You've got to look what people are producing. You've got to give time to be able to look and say, okay, I hear what they say, but then where is this going to lead me? And, and so snap judgments, though they're easy, are rarely 100% accurate. And so here's the caveat. This type of discernment, it takes three things, and these aren't on your list, but you can write them down. Three things to be able to make a discerning call about whether someone is, is a person I should listen to. It's going to take time. You can't fast forward it. It's going to take time. Unless they're just blatantly obvious not following Christ, it's going to take time to figure out and discern what time of, proof, uh, what time of fruit they're producing. It's going to take patience, and that's different than time because you can be impatient for a long time, can't you? <laughs> it's going to take time, and it's going to take patience. But here's the other thing. It's going to take investment. Because you can't just stand at a distance and discern some of these things. You can't just look over time and see. It has to, you have to have some sort of investment. I had an intern one time. Uh, his, his name was Albert. And I absolutely loved Albert. I still love Albert. He's still with us. So I still love Albert. And uh, he worked with me one summer. And then the next summer he went on to work somewhere else. And at first he would call me. He would call me, and he would go, Kyle Lindell, 
I really like the way that you did things, and this guy does this, 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 this. And he would just call and he would just complain about all the things that are happening in this other place that wasn't my place of doing ministry. And he'd call me again the next week, man, I miss being there, blah, blah, blah. And one day, because God just, his spirit just led, okay, this is good. It wasn't my intelligence at the time. I just, I just stopped the conversation. I said, Albert, have you earned the right to be able to say anything that you're saying? And he went, well, hold on a minute. What, what do you mean, have I earned the right? And I said, well, I understand that you had a good experience last year working for me. And I understand that you learned some things and that I learned some things and, and all that was good. But God's put you in a different position now. And he has you there for a reason. And if you have faith in Jesus Christ that he's put you there for a reason, then maybe he's wanting you to learn some different things. Have you earned the right to be able to criticize what this person is asking you to do? He said, well, I don't know what you mean. I said, let me just make it real plain. Have you done what he's asked you to do? No. I said, no, you haven't. You've just complained about it all the time. I said, but if you actually do it, and it actually produces fruit and it works, wouldn't you learn something from that? Well, yeah, I guess so. I said, and then when you get to the end of that summer, wouldn't it be like, wow, I like the way that Lyndall did it and it's able to do over here, but then I like the way that this guy did it and I'm able to do stuff over here. And wouldn't that grow your faith and grow your experience and grow your things because God would show you that there's multiple ways that you can accomplish this? And he went, yeah. So part of testing and seeing is have you earned the right to be able to even criticize? We live in a world that loves to sit behind a computer and throw out criticism all the time. Amen? But very few of those people have the right to say anything because they haven't walked in that person's shoes or actually done what they asked them to do. And I will tell you this as a pastor proudly, and you might even say arrogantly, but if the church would just do what I asked them to do most of the time, we'd be a lot further and a lot faster. Amen? And it's not because I'm all that smart but it's because I'm trying to point us to this. And we have a lot more information in church world than we have application, amen? And that's just the truth of it. And, so, and we can't just sit and criticize people because God said, test the spirits, and I don't like them. <laughs> no, no. Have you earned the right? Have you looked at their fruit? Do you see what they're producing? Have you, have you tried to do what they're doing? And then see that, wow, God can do something different. See, words alone are not enough. We must learn to look deeper at ourselves and at those we associate with. And so I give you permission, start with me. And when you find my flaws, which shouldn't take you that long, you're welcome to say, Lindell, how do you deal with this? Because that's another thing. If a leader will stand up in front of you and tell you I have no flaws, that's a problem. But you look at how they deal with those. Are they aware of them? Are they able to say, you know what, I, 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 tend, to, I tend to have struggles in this area. This is what I do to make myself accountable. This is how I'm trying to move forward. This is how I try to supplement these things. That's a, that's a leader worth following because you know that they're trying to do something. That's someone that God might be calling you to because not because you agree with them, but because you have an area that you're good at that they're not. And God might be putting you together so that you can go, hey, I can help you accomplish this vision that God wants us to do because just to be quite honest with you, Pastor, you're not real good at that. <laughs> Amen. Well, I am, and I'd be glad to step in and do that. Awesome. 
And that's how we do things together. So I'm not saying that you're going to find a leader that aligns exactly with you. I'm saying that you need to understand. We have to look and say, what are they trying to do? What fruit are they producing? Is this worthy of my time, my patience, and my investment? That's what John's saying when he says test the spirits. Here's an understanding. My true confession, this is what we understand is what we've looked at this passage. My true confession of Jesus Christ is seen in my works, not just my words, right? And that's what John's saying over and over in this, whether it's in your own life or whether it's in the life of other people. A true confession of Jesus Christ is seen in their works, not just their words. What type of fruit is it producing in their own life, in the lives of others, and those around them? In Deuteronomy, this is not new. It's not a New Testament thought. It's been around for a long time. God gave these words to the people of Israel. He says in Deuteronomy 18, but the prophets who presumes to speak a message in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet must die. God was a lot more to the point in the Old Testament, apparently. Verse 21, he says, you may say to yourself, how can we recognize a message that the Lord has not spoken? You might want to just underline that one in your Bible. Because I think that's a question for all of us. How do we look at all of these things that are available to us and, and, and discern that this is a message that God has not spoken? In verse 22, he says, When a prophet speaks in the Lord's name and the message does not come true or is not fulfilled, that's a message that the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken it presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. So that just leads me to a question. How much time do I give those messages to come true? You see... You can't just make a snap judgment. Sometimes people will make these, make these claims or, or they'll seem like someone to follow. And can I just tell you, I have been involved in leadership and ministry for 32 years. Ever since I was 16 years old and God called me to ministry, he immediately put me in positions of leadership in ministry. And I can honestly tell you that over that time, I've seen people rise and fall and rise and fall and rise and fall because they're not preaching the Jesus of God's word. They're preaching their own concept or their own idea of Jesus. And over time, you begin to understand that. And I will be honest enough to tell you that some of those people, I'd go, man, that'd be awesome. I probably had some of those people speak to my youth groups. I probably had them, and I was enamored by them and do stuff like that, would bring them in, and then now you look at them and go, wow. You look at the long-term fruit of that person, and you go, what, what were they thinking? What were they doing? It's hard to tell and to discern, but this is what we need. We need time, we need patience, but we need investment. We need to get involved in what they're saying so that we can actually see some of those things. In your opinion, you don't have to answer this out loud, just think about this. How patient are we as Americans? Even further, how good are we at allowing our perspective to be enlarged? We get pretty narrow-minded, don't we? think we have some things figured out or we have one bad experience or one thing and boy we just get defensive and hurt and, and we, we shelter things off but if we're going to be a discerning person then we have to be a person of, of patience and love and compassion you see I love it when John used these words he said they are from the world and what they say is from the world so the world listens to them you look at, sometimes you say, well, I'm supposed to look at the fruit of people, and they got a lot of people following them, so they, what they're saying must be true. Really? Because what John says is they're from the world, and the world listens to them, and so therefore, people follow them. 
is we're from God, and you're going to know that we're from God because we're following God, and we're going to listen to God. I love that you, when you look at the teaching of the apostles, not just John, but Paul and Peter and others as they were teaching, they would even stand up in front of people and say, look, as I get older in my faith, if I start preaching anything different than what I started with, then I am wrong and you need to stop following me. They would even say that because they understand the pressures and the things that happen in life and people can sometimes get led astray from some, from some things. But here's the understanding. When you narrow your focus to Jesus Christ, because that's the offer that God gives us, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will fall into place. That's Matthew 6, paraphrased by me. Is that we seek him first in his righteousness and he'll take care of everything else. When you narrow your focus to Jesus, here's what happens. He will then expand your capacity to see things his way and to love others. And true faith, in Jesus Christ will lead us to love and good works. It's what John keeps saying over and over. True faith in Jesus Christ will lead people to love and good works. It will lead me to love and good works. Is my life and my relationship with Jesus Christ leading me to love and good works? And see, here's a subtle thing. A life that is following Jesus will lead us to genuine love and compassion for others not tolerance, which is what the world says. Now, you see how subtle that is? The world says, well, our concept of love means you just need to let people believe what they believe and think what they think and let them do what they do and that's it. But that, that's not love, that's tolerance. Genuine compassion says I have a broken heart because I see people who are far away from Jesus Christ and I desire for them to come to Jesus. And so therefore, I, I wanna do what I can to help them see that Jesus is the way. You see, this is the understanding. What I believe, what I believe about Jesus will form how I view the world. And so when I narrow my focus on Jesus, it begins to shape how I view the world. What I believe about Jesus will form how I view the world. And, and it's not that then I start saying, oh, there's people who are far away from Jesus and, and I'm mad at them and I'm gonna yell at them. No. Because true faith in Jesus Christ will lead me to be a life and light to others. A life and a light to others. Do you know the difference between annoying light and good light? You know what annoying light is? You're trying to sleep, right? You're all comfortable, and then somebody comes in and shines. This is annoying light. You know, it just kind of gets in your face or... You know, maybe somebody just kind of shines things in your eyes or they put things on you or just, there's annoying light, right? And unfortunately, there's some of us as followers of Jesus Christ that we're a light, but maybe we're not the warm, inviting light. We just like exposing things on people and feeling better about ourselves. Kind of like the Pharisees, God, I'm glad I'm not like these sinners. <laughs> I'm glad I'm different. But that, that, that's not the type of light that God asks us to be. It, it is a warm and helpful light that he wants us to be, shining the light for other people, being compassionate and loving for them. 2 Corinthians 11, Paul writes these words, But I fear, as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your minds may be seduced from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if a person comes and preaches another Jesus whom we did not preach, 
or you receive a different spirit which you had not received or a different gospel which you had not accepted. You put up with it splendidly. That's what Paul's writing to the church in Corinth saying, you just keep adding things to this that that aren't what God intended and you just keep putting up with it because I don't know why. Just keep adding these things on. But why would John then, we look at this, why would John give us a warning then about testing spirits and how does that relate to me today? I want to close with this thought. Here's something we need to understand about our world and about our need to be able to test the things that we allow into our lives. Write this down. Unlimited accessibility requires overwhelming discernment. Let that sink in for just a minute. Unlimited accessibility requires overwhelming discernment. I can't tell you how many people I talk to, and I'm not saying this is a bad thing, but I just want to give you an example. You know, we have podcasts available, we have downloads available, and you don't even have to get into things that are just bad and off, but, but they'll come and listen to me on Sunday and somebody else on Monday and somebody else on Tuesday and twice on Wednesday and this on Thursday and this on Friday. And it's just unlimited accessibility to all types of teaching and all types of things that are out there. And, and the danger that happens in today's world of that, now it's beautiful because we get to share a lot of things, but the danger in that is there's no relational connect. You can't see the fruit. All you hear is the message. It's hard for us to get to know that person. It's hard for us to see that person. I was going to say it, it kind of sounds self-serving, but that's why I believe so much in the strong local church body. And I'm thankful for podcasts and for things where we can learn and teach and grow. But if you don't have discernment, and all you're doing is just filling yourself with a whole lot of information that you go, well, how do I discern this? How do I see? First Corinthians, Paul writes these words to them. Everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything builds up. No one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. And what Paul is saying is we have freedom in Christ. We can literally do whatever we want. We have that type of freedom, but not every freedom that we have is spent on the right things. And so we need to understand that we need to be people who are building up others and following Jesus Christ. If you don't know this already, let me just state it. We live in a world where people ask Google what they used to ask other people. You used to have conversations and now we just go, hey, Google. And now I probably just set off everybody's phone. We just do that. It happens. I do it all the time. I say hey to Susan in the office and my watch and everything else goes, yes, can I help you? I'm like, not Siri, Susan. But we, we do that instead of asking. And let me just say for those of you who are grandparents and parents, you need to understand this. Your kids are asking Google what they used to ask their parents. And so the information that they're getting is coming from that, not from you anymore. You, you follow this, right? Unlimited accessibility requires overwhelming discernment. How discerning was I when I was 10? <laughs> How discerning was I when I was 20 compared to this? So this is why this is so important. We have to learn to test things. And we have to create a place where people are allowed to discover that they are fully known and fully loved by God. 
We have to allow people to come in and say, man, I've heard all these different things about Jesus and I've gotten it from this thing or this TV show or this stuff and this idea and now I'm coming and sitting in your church and I'm hearing something different. How do I figure, how do I figure this out? It takes time, it takes patience, it takes investment. Fruit grows over time, not in a day. And so we need to understand our own life and in the lives of other people. The original unlimited accessibility happened when God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would find eternal life. That's what it means to have life after life. Life after life is Jesus. And so I just want to invite you this morning to bow your heads for just a minute.